Good morning. This is Colleen Quinn of the law firm of Locke and Quinn, and I am the sponsor of Raising the Bar, the Law Talk radio show. This morning's topic is going to be single dads by choice and adopting out of foster care. But let me tell you a little bit more about the Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show before we get today to today's topic. Remember that Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show is uh, a show that brings an exciting and varied array of legal talk topics to listeners throughout Central Virginia and especially in the greater Richmond area. Once per week on Wednesday morning, the one-hour interactive radio show features true life stories and cases, legal tips, practical and reliable advice, and information from experts and specialists. The show includes not just a variety of lawyers, but also a variety of professionals and also a number of my clients. Remember that the law touches nearly every aspect of daily life, and this show brings both humorous and entertaining stories, along with some helpful tips, including tips on access to the justice and legal service system, something that not everyone can afford. In fact, now on the Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show page, we have listed all of the available free and low-cost legal services that are available for those cases where you may not be able to afford a lawyer. Remember that Lock and Quinn is conveniently located in the near West End, uh, near the Willow Lawn Shopping Center, where there is a plethora of dining options. <laughs> so you can get your big beefy burrito at the Chipotle next door, along with your personal legal services at the same time. Uh, we also have the newly opened Chick-fil-A, and of course, the Krispy Kreme donut shop is right down the street. So um, come get your estate planning your family formation, your family law, your personal injury services, um, and a variety of other personal services at our law firm at Locke and Quinn, while also uh, choosing some of those lovely dining options that we have right around us. And if you can't come visit us in person, of course, we're always happy to Skype, Tango, Google Hangout, email, or talk by good old-fashioned phone if you like. Um, but please do remember that we are there to provide legal services in a variety of different areas. So now let's turn to the topic of today's show. And joining me today is my client, Joel Elston. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. Um, It's great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, um, I'm going to tell our listeners that uh, Joel is a three-time dad adopting out of foster care. And he also is an accomplished health coach and life coach. He's written a book that we're going to talk about later called The Bench. And most importantly, I uh, began to get to know Joel by being his attorney, finalizing his youngest son's adoption recently. And uh, we had a lovely celebration hearing for Justin up in the Hanover Circuit Court just a couple months ago. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about what a celebration hearing in a foster care finalization um, looks like and sounds like and feels like, um, because it was a a fabulous celebration hearing before the Hanover circuit court judge. So Joel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up and uh, how'd you get into the profession that you're you're in now? Well, uh, again, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, I grew up in Florida, uh, a little town called Plant City. It's just a little bit uh, east of Tampa. And I I grew up in, I I was uh, uh, the son of a compulsive gambler. And he left my mom and my family when uh, I was about 
six or seven, and I ended up being adopted by a gentleman uh, who, who my mom married, who's my, my dad and my hero. Um, and I, I grew up in, in a great family, uh, always had great support, good people around me. And so that was your your first experience uh, right. with adoption at a very uh, young at age. At a very young age. Yeah. And, and I, uh, unfortunately, the, the as time went on for me, I have a lot of addictive genes in my family. And I, uh, my grandfather in particular uh, was a very uh, severe alcoholic. And I was very guarded about not drinking and not being an alcoholic. Uh, but then again, my biological family was, uh, father was a compulsive gambler and that's the addiction that sort of took me over. So, uh, uh, I spent most of my twenties in spiraling downward in a gambling addiction, wow. uh, uh, ended up, I was working for my dad's insurance agency and, um, having access to a lot of money and being a compulsive gambler, just generally don't match, don't match right. at all. <laughs> uh, it matched for a while, at least on the other side of the gambling, but, it, uh, <laughs> and, uh, my addiction uh, eventually uh, led me, it's a long story I talk about a lot in my book, but it eventually led me to uh, losing everything, uh, going to work for another company and taking money from a company that, it's called stealing is what I call it today. At the time I was borrowing, uh, I stole a bunch of money from a company. They pressed charges. I ended up being a convicted felon wow. and lost everything Wow! Uh, and started up and began a program of recovery. And it was at that time that uh, I, I, yes, how I got into how I got my field. Right. It, it's, uh, I was working, I started doing a bunch of odd jobs. And the gentleman that was running the treatment center slash halfway house I was living in asked me if I'd be a house manager after about six months of recovery. And I started doing that and became fascinated with uh, addiction work and and understanding that I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And uh, my recovery progressed and actually living there and working there helped with my recovery. And I just continued on for a long time, just, just sort of getting my life together. It was a slow process at first, but uh, uh, I used all the, everything that happened eventually made sense. It, it became part of my process. I began to believe that Things are, are starting to turn around, and and even though there was a lot of stuff happening in my life that was negative, I kept seeing that the positives were starting to come back in, and uh, I really really turned things around and and loved my life, and uh, that led me to sort of where, where we are today. now. Yeah. yeah, we all have our journey, and we all have our demons to overcome, and with addiction too, there's so much we're learning too about you know, the genetics, et cetera. I mean, I've got the the Irish in my family. <laughs> we certainly <laughs> right. have, we certainly have our share of, of addictive uh, aspects, um, um, especially uh, the, the drinking side of things, you know. Um, so basically, you then kind of morphed into a certain uh, field of education. So tell us a little bit about your education that you then obtained. Well, I, I had I took a very non traditional route to education. I have multiple certifications and uh, degrees from. I, I I began looking at addiction medicine in the beginning, and I started. Uh, I got certified as a, an addiction counselor. Uh, that that specifically for the gambling addiction. Again, it's a very under. I get appreciate is not a good word, but a lot of people dismiss that as not being a really serious addiction, but it, it obviously can be. Right, uh, right. The, the financial devastation from the gambling addiction is is far worse than any other addiction. The average gambler 
takes over $250,000 out of the family system. And uh, kids of compulsive gamblers often end up in very desperate states. So the gambling addiction became a passion in in working in the field. But inherently, with the gambling addiction, uh, by the time they are ready for treatment, they don't have any money. So it's a hard field to make money at. So I... Along the way, I discovered various forms and of uh, uh, sort of coaching or addiction work that that led me to other areas. Uh, I made the discovery of of the, the, like the law of attraction is one of my major things that changed my life. For those of you that read the book The Secret, uh, it, it's what started my realization that uh, I'm sort of in control of my own perspective. Uh, everything that I'd been through. Uh, I, I, kept, I lived a very negative life for a long time, I anticipated negative things to happen, right. and negative things kept happening. Right. And when I realized that I could immediately change that, I, I just had this big epiphany that I can I can be happy at any point in time I want. And, right. and, and I became responsible for my own thoughts. Um, I, I cured my depression with exercise and positive thought. I, my anxiety went away. Uh, it's never, I, I can't say this as a professional. I didn't, I can't say I cured my addiction because we were never cured from addiction, but I've arrested my addiction for over 23 years using that concept. I like so, that. Yeah. I like that term. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it has, it is, uh, uh, it's certainly, uh, not a problem in my life now, but along the way, uh, there was a lot of stuff that I was learning and feeling and growing and, uh, you know, I had uh, um, getting. You know, I had a very wild period of time during my twenties, obviously. And right. I, uh, as far as relationships would go, I, I dated a lot of strippers. I led a lot of craziness, <laughs> and and to be honest, I never wanted to get married. It was just something that that I, I was like, okay, I've I've been too crazy. And the I, and after you're single for a long time, the idea of marrying someone it's hard to accept. It is that new it, lifestyle yeah. of somebody. So I, I I dated on and off for a long time. Nothing ever too serious, but. Uh, a really good friend of mine, and and I met her family through a friend, another family friend, and I became really close to her kids. It was it was they were really cool kids, and and they were somebody else's kids, which were really awesome because I could spend just the right amount of time. Right, it's like leave. being a grandparent. Right. You yeah, get exactly. them and then you can pay yeah. them back. Right, <laughs> and so the closer I came to these kids, they they relied on me, and and they they their father wasn't uh, active in their life, their biological father. So in a sense, I sort of became a de facto dad to them, and and it was a, a point that uh, really just sort of got me thinking. You know, maybe I would want. Wow, to this parenthood yeah. thing might not be right. so bad. Right. Yeah. So uh, uh, in a very short story there, and then my friendship, or at least that period of time with uh, this lady, sort of fell apart, and I sort of lost touch with the kids for a little while. Uh, but it's the first time I'd ever thought about being a dad. Right, right. And so it, it you know, it, it did light that fire. Okay. So you were talking about getting control of your addiction. And um, when I was going through the divorce, a good colleague of mine said, you know, Colleen, you can be the yo-yo um, or you can control the yo-yo, you know. And it's it's really kind of flipping that whole outlook. And you, you did that, which got you to the point where now you can be in this kind of um, what we call in loco parentis relationship with your friend's kids, you know, um, and now you are able to move beyond yourself and to others. And so it's, so this is really kind of where we're going in terms of you choosing to be a single dad. And so tell us how then that unfolded, that you decided to adopt your first son and that you went down that path. Well, it was uh, uh, because of that I was— I had, when all this was happening, I'd moved from Florida to South Carolina. 
the gentleman that I began working with at the treatment center, eventually him and I became partners and opened up a treatment facility in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Okay. And um, I was randomly actually cooking a steak on the grill one night, and I randomly saw this um, ad that said, you know, there's a therapeutic foster looking for therapeutic foster family. So I just assumed, I, I mean, being a convicted felon, right? single male, there's zero chance. I was going to ask adopt. you about yeah. that, right? There's zero chance of me being able to adopt. So I said, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mind. I've done trainings for stuff like this in the past. I'm a motivational speaker. I mean, maybe I can help with that. So I called the lady and, and spoke with her and I explained my situation. And she, she kept saying, well, you sound like you'd be really good at being a therapeutic foster parent. I said, did you not understand I'm a convicted fellow single male? They, they don't line up for that. And uh, it, it, so we, we uh, she taught me into at least, she said, well, no, I mean, we they forgive that. It's been a while since that's happened. It's good to know yeah, that yeah. the Department of Social Services, you know, right. has a forgiveness program. They, they do. <laughs> and now, obviously, there's barrier crimes. And right. mine, was, mine was a nonviolent theft charge and not minimalizing it, but it wasn't a violent charge. I, uh, and, and clearly, obviously, nothing involving children, right. which would be a barrier, um, rightfully so. But I began the process with her, and, I, and I'm like, ah, now, I don't know if I want to go that far to be a therapeutic foster parent, but at least the concept seemed to me that, okay, I could be a foster parent and try this out. Right. And if worse comes to worse, I can just say, oh, no, 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 this is too crazy. Let's, you know, but... We, we got approved. Uh, I, it took just a simple waiver. When I say simple, they did an incredibly thorough background yes. check. I, I want to be clear when you do this. This is not, they didn't just say, okay, good idea, Joel. They did, uh, they checked my references from Florida. They, they did background checks in, in Florida and South Carolina. I mean, very detailed background checks. and Pretty uh, pretty similar to, uh, it's a home, home study, basically, a, home study, a foster yes. parent home study. Yes. Yeah. And they get into, uh, it's, it, for those that are going through, it's a very detailed home. And they verify the information you give them. So uh, I, I give social services, both in South Carolina and later in, in Virginia, high marks for thoroughness and their invest- it was frustrating at times. Right. But I, I'm glad they are protecting our kids that way. And so they, they did a really good job. So um, I became approved as therapeutic foster parent. A young man, his, uh, his name's Josh, uh, came into my home and there was no chance to adopt him. Josh was just going to be a therapeutic foster kid, uh, great kid. So I, 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 while I appreciated having him there, he thrived in my home. They were very impressed. I, I don't know what specifically I did, but Josh and I got along wonderfully. Uh, we still stay in touch. He, he, he's still in South Carolina. He's doing really well. Okay. And so he was there with me for about a year. Okay. And so they were like, you're really good at this. Josh responded well. And with Josh leaving, it wasn't really, I was never anticipating him staying. Okay. So it, it, while I missed him, we still stayed in touch. I had visitation. His parents gave me visitation rights. So well, how fun. Yeah, it was really, yeah. it was really cool. And, and so I, it was a great first experience. And so, so I, you kind of became the uncle. I did. I'm yeah. like the uncle yeah. now. And, and, you know, and then again, the beauty of being able to leave. And, and uh, so shortly after Josh uh, was in my home, I said, well, let me take a, a month or so off from this and then consider another kid. Well, uh, Probably within two days of Josh leaving, they called me and they said, look, we have a young man. His name's TJ. And he is, TJ was in 17 different foster care placements wow. in a 24-month period. He was absolutely wild. He wasn't going to school. He was horribly neglected in his environment and uh, was very rebellious, almost very wild. Right. He had no boundaries. No boundaries. Yeah. And 
And they said, you did such a good job. with jo-. Now, I'm talking, this is a big difference. And, and I was like, wow, I don't know if I can handle this. They gave and you the kitten, they, and they yeah, said, oh, now you can handle the yeah, lion. <laughs> right, exactly. And so uh, I, I said, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And, and Josh just left. And the lady actually, we were having, having our uh, every month meeting that night, happened to be that night. And said, well, we'll have him here tonight. Can you come meet him? Well, I met him, and here's this pathetic little skinny, you know, I guess 11-year-old at the time. And I watched him as he, he was he didn't realize anybody was watching him. He was stuffing food into his pockets. And and I knew instantly, I, I should have just told her at that point, yeah, I'll do it. But I, I said, I got to think about it. And overnight, I thought about it. I said, let's try it. Uh, the motivating factor was he had run out of placements, and he was going to go to the state hospital at that point. Yeah. And for those that you that know, or and in, in hopefully there's all this is not always the case, but it's once you get to the state hospital, it's hard to get out of the state hospital. It is, yes. I, I even had clients trying to get a child out and couldn't get the child right. out that wanted to to nurture right. him and everything. And some of these children are so wounded. You right. know, they're, they're, they've got the reactive attachment disorder. Absolutely. They've got the hoarding that you just described. Yeah. Well, and and they're they're anticipating. And one of the things that we and we'll, we'll probably cover as we go, but one of the things that. Uh, helped me a lot in this equation. Uh, somebody told me very early when when this, I said, Joel, because I, I when I would get frustrated with anybody I was working with, with the kids working with, the statement, it's not about you. I don't know why that resonated. If, if you if it's if it's not about me, it's okay. I, 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 I somehow was equating the kid acting up as being my fault that I wasn't doing a good job when I realized, no, I was doing a fine job. It's just not about me. It just sort of relieved everything for me. And I was able to just sort of, I didn't let anything be a really big deal. And and once they, foster care kids often are conditioned to push people away. Right. As soon as you get around, their job is to say, well, you're going to screw me over and push me away. So let me get there first. Right. Because they they don't want to attach because they've been hurt so many times by broken attachments. Yeah. Right. So TJ, uh, uh, I agreed to take him, so he arrived at my home, and, and the, one of my favorite stories to tell is the very first day. He walked. He didn't want to be there. He didn't care who I was. He he just was like just rolling his eyes at me and just, this is ridiculous. All TJ wanted to do was go home to his parents and and, and or his grandmother, and, and that was his mission. He, he, was, he wasn't going to invest in anything else, and there wasn't a choice for that, but he was going to keep trying, and he didn't realize where he would end up, so... His very first day, I bought. He came with nothing. That's another subject. They 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 have nothing in these kids, and so we run out real quick in emergency. We buy a bunch of new clothes for for him. And so the first day of school, the, the next morning, uh, he came out wearing a t-shirt that was ripped that he drew a Nike symbol on. Well, I had bought him a bunch of new clothes, and I said, "Well, uh, would you go in there and please change into some of the new clothes?" Well, he threw this fit, and he goes, "I'm wearing what the f I want to wear," and he starts jumping up and down. Well, the, the funny part, the line that I love that I don't know why this just got me so much is is halfway through this, uh, he rips his shirt off. And he's, again, the skinny little kid. And mm-hmm. He's stomping up and down. And so he, and excuse the language, but it's so relevant to this. He said, and, and so I'm just watching him. I, I'm just like sort of fascinated that he's jumping up and down and not hurting anything. Right. And, um, and so after I'm looking at him, my arms are just crossed and I'm sort of quizzically looking at him and he goes, well, I guess you want me to get my shit and get out of your house, too. That was a statement. Right. And I'm like, no, but when you get home, uh, well, well, along the way, the part that makes the, the story, he called me a whole ass instead of an asshole. 
and, uh, and, and you know, so I, I, I just, I laughed, and 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 so that's what he said. I want you to get my stuff yeah. out of the house. So uh, I said, nobody. I said, but when you get home from school today, I'm going to teach you how to cuss properly because you have no idea how to do it. Well, he he went from this. Me, he looked at me. He goes, what? And very quickly, very quickly. I would not let TJ push me away, no matter what he did. I did. It, it was never mean stuff. It was just he was hateful often, but it was just, it was never mean in the physical. He didn't try to hurt right. anything. Didn't break anything. And then after a while, I guess he figured his techniques weren't working on me, so he just sort of settled in. Right. And uh, we along the way, and I'll discuss this too. I have being a single parent in foster care. I develop a a, a very rich, thick group of support people. I have, as you saw when we had At the our, celebration yeah, hearing yeah, we over 25 Justin. people there. I, I reach out to people. And one of the people that came early into the equation for TJ is a, a teacher named Joanna Setzler. Um, he was in fifth grade when I got him and he could not read. When I say he could not read, he could not read a word. Right. And um, she took a special interest in TJ and she knew the story. And she worked with him every single day before school, during school and after school. And she was instrumental in this, but as time went on, uh, he he quickly started reading. And it wasn't long he was reading on grade level. And he started buying into this whole process. He was doing well in school. Uh, his behavior changed, and, and he just became a different kid. And, and, it's and just it, a matter of love and boundaries. Well, and, and, yeah, and people think, well, you'll love them into this. Well, it, it on some level, that's true. However— right. You, you just have to realize before you can get, you got to almost be indifference in the beginning. You can't allow that emotional attack to be successful. It's not about you. It's not about me. Yeah. And that statement would resonate with me every day. And there, there are days, I'm not trying to act like I did this perfectly. There are days I'm like, what am I doing here, you know? <laughs> and uh, But sure enough, he started to come along. And so we we had, within six months, this was a different kid. We I'm very... While I do believe medication is a, 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 an important component for some people, foster care kids, pers- I'll go into personal rant here, are horribly over-medicated. Right. That, that, I mean, they are, it, it is abusive, and I, I, I just get very upset when I see these kids on nine or ten different psychotropic medications. Right. They shouldn't be on any because, it, you know, they're, they're in foster care. Of course, they're depressed, and, and that's a whole separate topic for me, to, and, and I, I fight against that a lot. Gotcha. So uh, we we spent a lot of time and energy getting TJ off his medications, and he all of a sudden was a different kid. Everybody was shocked that wow. that was who he was now. So we're going to cut to the break in about a minute. Um, if uh, you'd like to call into the show, it's 804-454-1366. Today I'm interviewing my guest and client, Joel Elston, and we're talking about choosing to be a single dad and adopting out of foster care. Um, you also can uh, reach out and uh, write to us on the Lock and Quinn Facebook Live page if you have any questions um, about today's topic, which again is choosing to be a single dad and adopting out of foster care. Um, Joel has adopted uh, three children out of foster care, and we were just talking about uh, his rec- his uh, recent his experience with TJ, one of the uh, the. Uh, children that he worked with. And we're going to be right back after the break, continuing our discussion. You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. 
We are back. This is Colleen Quinn of the law firm of Locke and Quinn. And uh, today on Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's Law Talk radio show, I am interviewing my client, Joel Elston. And we are talking about single dads by choice and adopting out of foster care. And before I go back to interviewing Joel, we do have a caller. Mark is on the line. Um, Mark, good, good morning. Uh, good morning. Do you have a, a question for us this morning? Well, I was very intrigued by the testimony that Joel gave. Uh, I have a similar experience maybe about 15 years ago where I took in these two kids, uh, a young girl and a, uh, her brother, um, and a uh, similar experience. They were very slow, and they were, uh, they were said to be, uh, you know, AI-deficient, uh, uh, and uh, it was a lot of work, you know, but... Uh, it was a lot of uh, tough times, but it was also a lot of fun times. And I think that uh, a lot of kids, you know, they're kids. They're going to do crazy things. And I think uh, playing around with them and, uh, you know, trying to be serious, but you've got to be able to be well-balanced as a parent. It can't just be strict. you got to play around. It's kids and kids. Right. And I think that uh, the job that he did needs to be great because, you know, when you got a kid that's on a lot of medication, uh, it's already a tough thing to deal with because they're not themselves. They're being medicated, and it's, it's mood swings. And I just take my hat off to him, and I'm so proud of him. And I just wish uh, other parents, especially those that's biblical, Genesis to Revelation, and they go to church uh, every week, we should be snatching up these children. They're our future. And uh, the Bible is the best way to, uh, to discipline children and to learn about how to forgive and how to be merciful and how to, you know, be thankful and grateful. And, and these things rub off. Right, right, so right. It's almost like you give birth to it. If, if you're a loving person, then somebody around you, that regardless of how mean they are, they're going to become loving too. Right. Well, Mark, um, thank you so much for uh, praising Joel and all the foster parents that are out there. Um, they are, in fact, saints, and the, the Bible can be a good tool as part of, uh, of that nurturing of children. We do have a lot of children in the foster care system that could use folks like you and folks like uh, Joel. So thank you so much for calling in and sharing your story with us this morning. More than welcome. Great. Have a great day. All right. Um, so you got one fan out there at least, right? I really appreciate that call. <laughs> it, it, it means a lot. We, uh, you know, we were talking about when when TJ was there and and how he turned the corner and and you know it became apparent through a, a chain of events that uh, I was I wanted to adopt TJ and I, I I was like wow I mean to see this change in this kid I and mean, we got very close and. Uh, uh, the most resilient human I've ever met. I mean, anybody that's been, th- and that's how I looked at him. Even right. when his behavior was off, I'm looking at, look at the resilience of this kid. He never felt sorry for himself. He, you know, that, that's admirable. Right. And uh, and I know it's not all about you, but seeing that transformation and that development had to be rewarding. It, it absolutely is. Yeah. It, even though it's not about me, his behavior is not about me, but this progress 
uh, I was growing too. I was I was getting as much out of him as he was getting out of me. It, it, and, and I was becoming, not that I was a bad person at that point, I really turned turned my life around because I liked the discipline in my life. I liked the structure of getting up, going to school. And 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 I, I do very well with structure. I have a really off-the-chart ADHD personally too. So uh, <laughs> so the, the more structured I am, the better I am. Being so, a parent <laughs> does require some structure. <laughs> it does. So, so TJ enforced structure. So I, I behind the scenes started looking into... Uh, adopting him and his his social worker uh, is, is is still a good friend. Uh, she became very good friends and she she everybody saw what was happening. So it was a no brainer. Everybody's like, yes, th- th- of course. And uh, the only problem is in South Carolina at the time, and they've adjusted the age up a little bit. But TJ had to agree to be adopted at that point. How old was he? He was, uh, he was 13, 13 at that point. Okay. We were talking And in Virginia, adoption. it's 14. Right. But still, right. every state has a certain right. threshold age. Yeah. Right. And so uh, I approached him one day and I said, uh, and this leads into how I get into all the other stuff. Um, he said, I, I asked him if he'd consider being adopted. And I could tell by his response, he said, well, I'll think about it. Okay. And uh, – he he, he came back the next day, and again he said, "Look, you know, you've done so much for me, but being adopted would be disrespectful to my family, and if I have to agree to it, I'm going to have to say no." And interesting, it was heartbreaking, yeah. but at the same time, again, it was it was TJ. He was very you know very loyal to his family. So long story short, he had been with me long enough, and I'm an approved adopted parent at right. this point. Now yeah. I've already been approved to adopt. So we th- that lasts several more months with him in the home. He continues to thrive, and they approach me about a, a a young man. They said, "Look, you know, you're proved to be adopted. There's an eight year old boy named Chris, who you'd be great with. TJ is doing well, and I knew a foster family that TJ would be able to go to if, since he wasn't going to be adopted. And uh, the and the social worker, his social worker, is like, "No, I want him to be adopted." And I go, "He's got to agree, and he won't agree." Right. So. Long story short, TJ goes to this other family, and uh, I was given the rare right as legal. I had legal visitation rights with TJ, which, which is, is which is almost impossible. Right? I, I mean, it, it was. Yeah. They, they normally when they go to another foster <laughs> yeah. family, you're, it's like goodbye, right. sayonara. <laughs> right. So they gave me, which which was unheard of, because and and they always felt he would eventually come around. So in the meantime, I, uh, Chris comes into my home. He's a great kid. We're doing wonderfully. He's quit. He's He's different. He's buying it. I, I'm ready to roll. I want to be adopted. Call me dad from day one. TJ always called me Joel. And so he had a hard time. Not that he didn't view me as dad. Right. He, he referred to me as dad to other people. But calling me dad was, again, a betrayal to his own father in his mind. So uh, we're, 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 you know, we would go out. TJ would come hang out with us every weekend and go to the movies, all this. And and so it got time, as we got closer to Chris's adoption, I get a call one night from TJ. He was crying. Aww. And he, he said, will you adopt me? Aw. <laughs> what, what am I going to say? Yeah. You know, well, well. I take it he's also becoming close to Chris at he, this point. Well, sort of. Kind of. Yeah, kind okay. of yeah, they, they, but he's also seeing Chris become right, like a permanent, right. he's you know, get a permanent home. Yeah. He's realizing the package of our life. Our package okay. of our life. And, and I say this with with as being as humble as possible. We, we're, we're blessed in, in abundance and we have a right. great life. And, 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 you know, foster care homes sometimes aren't always, you know, and where the you know it isn't always the the best setting, and even though I knew these people, he was just you know. And I decided yes, I'll do. So they now, I can't tell Chris to leave, 
So I have two kids. I never intended to adopt two. Now, I had to wait. This is the funny part. of uh, I had to wait. It took several months for the court date with Chris, and you know we had to do all that stuff. The state of South Carolina wanted TJ adopted so bad, we had a court date in two weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> we, 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 we had a court date in two weeks, and everybody's like, before anybody changes their mind. and uh, so TJ, They were moving him off the government toll <laughs> right, really right, fast. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, we in fact, a judge in South Carolina agreed to come in on a Saturday. Wow. They, they were like, let's get this done, you know. And and I knew them, of course, because I had, had you know, done a lot of work in that area. Anyway, so it worked out really well. We got TJ adopted, Chris adopted. And they thrived, and they did very well. I mean, and, and I'm, I don't want to present it as it was absolutely perfect. We had our ups and downs. Right. Uh, we we had, uh, you know, and, you know, Chris has uh, uh, and still struggles with the effects of this. You mentioned uh, reactive attachment disorder. Right. Uh, people don't understand. That's an incredibly difficult thing to overcome. Especially when there are those um, broken attachments from such a young age. Yes. Yeah. And— and, and they manifest in different ways, but in Chris's case, he, 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 he was so desperate to bond with everyone that he ran people away. So he had a really hard time, and he still struggles with that. As he's 21 now, and uh, and we, but I'm not giving up. We're still, you know, we still trying hard, and and he is making little progress as we go. But as time went on, uh, we we overcame everything, and and despite you know you know TJ was arrested for pot, he had a drug overdose. I mean, right. and, and within that, it's just but part. You, you know kids not in foster care. Right, right. We're seeing that, yeah, right. And and what, the piece that I always kept reminding myself, I kept going back. It's not about you. You're doing this for them, and 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 I. It doesn't mean that when he's in the emergency room ICU being the stomach, but but I mean I was all you know joyful and, and, and right. thinking that way. But I was always able to process that the chain of events in our short time. I can't get into all the details, but there was an incredible chain of events that just led to all this. Right, including having other foster parents that were cooperative. Right. And I see when foster parents work together, it's just a better outcome. Right, right. Yeah. and and it's not about. You know, and, and I stood by TJ, and then after a while, TJ just you know he he conceded and wanted you know and he he just he fit in and he he had to go to a boot camp for pot use and again it's just TJ stuff. TJ was uh, that probably made uh, home look like uh, yeah, heaven. Yeah, yeah, and so we we had you know with TJ he was the, again the most resilient person ever on the planet. So uh, we we get TJ struggled for a long time. When he turned eighteen, he went back to his biological family. Okay, and. Uh, not offering a lot of commentary on that situation other than uh, he felt he needed to do it. And it was hard. It was hard to watch. Right. But at the same time, it's something he had to go do. Right. And so he called me probably after about six months of that saying, you know, uh, wow, (laughs) it's it's pretty rough here. And so we got him through some, he hadn't finished school at that point. We got him through some schooling, and 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 he really tr- started turning his life around. I mean, he did some jail time, and not my, you know minor stuff in jail, but he really realized he, the the call that turned it around for him. He called me one night, and he, and one of the hilarious things about TJ is he did not understand sarcasm. So he called one night and he said, "Dad, I'm in jail, and it only cost two hundred and fifty three dollars to bail me out." And my response was, "How much to keep you longer?" <laughs> and he he he's like, um, I don't think you understand how it works. And I said, I do, buddy. I said when you when you get out, I'll help you, but I'm not getting you out of jail. Uh, TJ survived, thrived, became and really turned things around. And uh, uh, what an incredibly uh, 
you know, again, the most resilient man I've ever met. And, and I, 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 I really respect his resilience and, and not to minimize Chris, Chris is still in his building stage and I expect him to completely come around as well. Right. So, uh, that, that led to where we were at with them. They, it, it was a great experience and it was, uh, there were, there were those moments I kept saying, why did I do this? Why do I do this? But I, I never wouldn't go back and do it. So. Right. So, so how old, how old are they or were they there? TJ and Chris? Uh, Chris right now is 21. Okay. And he was eight years old when I adopted. Okay. Uh, uh, TJ came in near the back end of his 11th year in foster care. Okay. By the time we got around to adopting, he was 13. Okay. And so that happened. And uh, TJ, unfortunately, one of the one of the things that sort of leads to the next chapter is uh, in 2014, TJ was killed in a car wreck. Wow. That's really, yeah, that... That's really upsetting. Um, and I'll give you a moment to, to process that. After having done so much good work um, with him and seeing him transform and seeing him thrive and everything, I imagine that was pretty devastating. It really was. But what I what I was able to do and, and what I do to this day is I mentioned how much I use the law of attraction in my life. And, right. and my focus with TJ— became the joy he brought to my life, not the void created by his. And, right. and that that's what I focused on. I, I, you know, it, well, it's it, like you said before, you can either look at the negative and right. wallow in it, or you can turn it, you can be the yo-yo or you can control the right. yo-yo. And right? so I realized that was my perspective. And I realized I, I had to, he would expect nothing less than me to go forward. To be resilient. Yeah. Like he was <laughs> yes, all exactly. those years. Yeah. And so, uh, so that turnaround and that loss was clearly devastating. There's no, there's no way to even describe that. There will never be the moment that I say uh, this was a good thing. Right. There will never be that moment. However, I do focus every day. I'm grateful that he was uh, for the time I did have him in my life. Yes, absolutely. And that's what kept that's what and kept grateful me going. for. I mean, the life that you gave him. Yes, and yeah. so you know, it it it's, it it was it was amazing. And as we you know, I discuss in my book, The Bench, and, and you know, the relevance of The Bench is is there's this place in Florida when I went into recovery early that right down to the beach that I go to every day, there's this bench I was sitting on. And, I, and I, I realized many years into recovery, I always was sitting on this bench making decisions. Okay. So that was my, my place of refuge. By the way, that's where TJ's remains are today. Oh, wow. And and that was, that was the bench where he sat on it. We all sat on it. And... A couple of years, two years after TJ died, um, I was at the bench and, and, you know, not that this is a good thing, but my life is, was amazing. I mean, I, I have professionally, I'm, I'm in, you know, just good place. Good place. Yeah. I have a published book. I do public speaking. I, I, I have the best life of anybody. I wouldn't trade my life with anyone and, uh, good, bad, and ugly. It all made me the man I am today. And, uh, I was sitting on the bench and I, I just randomly had a thought of, I, I, I always post stuff about foster care and people adopting in foster care. And I said, I'm sitting here with this big house just by myself. I'm not that old. Right. And, uh, I'm in great <laughs> health. Uh, I'm a lot older than I was before. And I said, maybe I'll consider doing it again. 
So uh, through UMFS at uh, United Meth- Family Methodist Services, right? Uh, we had uh, right down the street, right down the street, right down from my office. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, we we I became licensed again as a therapeutic foster parent. I took the training again, and um, I said I will take it step by step. I I don't want to I don't want to jump into anything. And whereas I took whatever came along before, I said I am going to be picky this time. I I'm going to there, there's some behaviors <laughs> Wait, you know, a little older, a little wiser. Little older, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe maybe you're a little tired <laughs> right, and don't want right, quite as much work. Right. <laughs> I I I now know uh, I am don't have as much energy maybe as I did when I was a parent before, but I certainly foster more. I parent more efficiently today. Right. <laughs> and uh, so they presented me with several cases. And of course, with my background, they were presenting me with the, you know, and I'm not making fun of people's situations, but, you know, the young man that smeared feces all over the wall every night. I'm like, okay, well, sorry. No, no. And, and I've done a lot of those disrupted right. uh, placements. Yeah. yeah. I, I knew that I was going to have to find the right the right situation. And, 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 and it may not come along. I, I was also prepared. I wasn't stuck. I just said, I wanted to see what, so giving them credit, they didn't, they, they didn't pressure me much every now and then they kept saying, come on. Um, and then, uh, one day in October of 2016, I believe my years are getting by now as time goes on. You fly by. Yeah. Uh, they tell me about this young man. He was in a treatment center in Lynchburg and, uh, everything he described was just, it was, you know, I, I said, that's my, you know, the ADHD, I mean, welcome to my house. That, right, that, you right. Know, I can that, handle that. Yeah, I can handle that. <laughs> uh, his, his stuff was, uh, while having issues, his stuff was stuff that really fit my expertise. And so we had a couple of visits and again, very quick, uh, within two weeks of our first visit, he was in my home as a foster kid okay. and he began to thrive immediately. And I once again, um, and it sounds arrogant when I say this, it wasn't me doing it, but I ha- I reached out and, and people responded. I developed an incredible Again, support, that support yeah, that, network. That, and right. that, that's what everybody asks, how do I do it? And, you know, first of all, I have the the best job in the world. I, I'm flexible in that. Um, but I'm very proactive in getting people in our lives that can help. These are good people uh, that, that, you know, they're, they're dear friends. I have so many people that I could call right now if, if, if Justin were sick at school and go get him. Uh, they, they, they've supported him spiritually. It's so essential it, to being it, a single parent. It yeah. is. And so I, I have all that in my wheelhouse, so right. to speak, right now. And, and so having experience doing that, and, and I'm always shocked at the foster parents, single or, or, or not, that don't take advantage of respite care providers. It, right. it, it, it's, it's not a weakness to say you need help. So the the the, the process of... You know, adopting these kids is it seems overwhelming at first. Right. It really does. It it's uh, you you mentioned earlier the home study. Right. We had uh, you know the in the home study in South Carolina was a little different than here, but it was basically the same thing. You tell them a a complete and thorough history. They ask you a lot of probing questions about your childhood and how you believe and stuff, and then they verify a lot of this information. Right. And then I have this great cartoon. It's a social worker handing a goldfish on a, in a ball to, yeah, to, yeah. to to potential adoptive parents and says, bring it back alive in six months and you'll pass the home right. study. Well, the, the, the beauty, yeah, that's a great one. The beautiful thing in my situation is I basically, and I obviously answered questions, but I basically handed the, the social worker my book and said, well, the good, the bad, and the ugly is right here. Read the bench. And, yeah. you know, I had mentioned before I had a felony conviction for theft, uh, uh, years ago, and and you know when you when you're adopting, obviously the thorough, the very thorough uh, uh, background check, um, 
you know, and, and while I got it approved in South Carolina, I didn't know if it was going to be approved here in Virginia. It's a separate state, separate opinion on it. Right. They, of course, it's not a barrier crime here either. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you do have to have someone sign off. They acknowledge that it's there. And so we completed that. You know, once the home study is done, then you go through. Uh, there, there's, a, and you can speak more to the legalities of this, but there's there's terminated situations where parental rights have been terminated. And if and that was uh, we were on the very back end of Justin's parental termination, so right. So uh, he was still at legal risk. He, was he wasn't re- freed up to adopt. Right. Yeah. Right. But he had been in the his his uh, biological mother had been in the system for a couple of years, and they were at the very the judge was not had made it clear that and the and the caseworkers were like this will be the last hearing. Uh, but until then, you only get go, only get so many chances. You, you only get so many to chances. Turn it around, yeah. Yeah, and and so it, it, while you're at risk of him b- being returned, it's an unlikely risk at that point. And once the termination happens, once that goes, because a lot of people are fearful. Like I, I wouldn't want him to be adopted, and the parents come. They hear these stories. Once they're terminated, you're not going to lose that child. Right. It, it's just it. It is. Justin is my child today. There's no one who supersedes me, no matter what could happen. There's no court action that could be taken outside of me being a bad parent that would remove him from being my my child. We did get that final order entered. Yes. 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 (laughs) And um, and in Virginia, it's a little uh, problematic because the TPR, the termination of parental rights, happens at the juvenile level, but then they can appeal it to the circuit court level. So uh, sometimes there's two rounds of termination before you finally get to that 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 finality. Yes. Yes. And but when you finally get to that point and it's not appealed any further, then you can safely move forward with that adoption. Right. Yeah. And it it does sound scary for people to go through all that, but I don't know the exact number, but right now, today, I I looked on Google the other day giving somebody some information. There's roughly 120,000 children in foster care in the United States that are legal rights have been terminated. And available for adoption. And are available for adoption. and. And a lot of them are the TJs of the world. A lot of them, and and so you know, I I and this is not a, a and it's a little thing that I often say. I I certainly don't get into the discussions of of political views on different things. I have my own opinion on a lot of things. But if everyone would advocate for our kids in foster care as much as they do for unborns or other situations, not that that doesn't matter, right? But why don't we put that same effort for our kids that are here, and yeah. at least an equal effort. And there's so much emphasis sometimes on adopting a newborn, yes. um, and the children in foster care tend to be older. They tend to be over the age of six, but they are in need of a forever family home, you know. And um, so having more people come forward to to basically give these children a stable, loving home like you've given your three children now um, is just so critical to their success. Well, and, the you know, the, the process that—, that also happens that most people overlook is I have seen some of the most successful foster care adoptions be with older families or older women that are, you know, I know of a 64 year old lady who adopted a 14, she's a 64 year old uh, uh, Caucasian female. Mm -hmm. She was a widow, adopted a 14 year old African American young lady. And it was the perfect match. Yeah. I mean, so the concept that we're too old, if you've got a room in your house, right. you got a, and, and a big sense of humor, I always say, if you got to have a sense of humor, <laughs> if you have a room and a sense of humor and, and you're ready, you could do this. And most people, whether you're single, whether, you, you know, you, you can 
change a life. We can talk about changing things or we can change things. Right. And this is how you, there's no greater gift. I, I don't think I'm going to do it again. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> never say never. Never say never. Uh, but at this point, you know, I, I, I'm so glad that I'm in this process again. I, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm in great health and I've, I'm in a position where I think most parents in general would say, if I could go back and do one thing, I wouldn't worry about so much of the little things. Yeah. You know, we, we get caught up in the little things sometimes and, and, and trying to micromanage stuff. I'm a better parent today than I was for my, and I was good before, but I, I, I do better this time because well, you get, you know, practice makes perfect. Yeah, and you don't, you know, the, some of the little stuff comes along you're like, okay, you know, well, okay, whatever, you know, right. I, I'll act like I didn't hear that and, or something. And, and Justin's thriving. So, well, uh, and he, he looked, he looked super dapper oh, at yeah. the celebration <laughs> hearing. And what's fun is I'm seeing a lot more judges now throughout uh, Virginia do really fun celebration hearings. Um, in fact, Judge Hicks and Henrico, he actually does it up with balloons and presents. And um, then there's another judge in uh, Charlottesville who lets the kids uh, ring the uh, the bell the, because uh, her, the courtroom is right there in the town square center with the bell. And, of course, the Hanover judge in uh, Justin's case was incredibly accommodating and allowing all 25 attendees to come up and take the bench. <laughs> yeah, we, Justin sat at the bench and held yeah. the gavel. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and she was, it, it, it was amazing. And, and, you know, not every county Hanover we had to pay for the, the hearing because it's, you know, I, I get it. Not There's nobody going to say, sorry, you can't adopt. I mean, at this point. Right. You know, but I think the hearing is important. It is. And, you know, there are the subsidies. Um, there's up to, in Virginia, there's up to $2,000 for the attorney fees and costs, which generally cover even Everything. the hearing. Yeah. And and also people like you, and, and I, I certainly appreciate your services, you do a lot for that amount you get. I mean, it, you, you really... It's fun, it's though. <laughs> a I can tell it's a passion yeah. for you. I mean, it it, it is... Uh, you, you you are out there as someone who's an advocate for these kids, and it's obvious, and uh, I, I appreciate you, and I, I know a lot of people that are really appreciative of all the work you do. Oh, thank you so much, Joel. And um, for folks that are considering being foster parents, um, we do have a page on our website, too, with with um, some tips on foster parent uh, rights with regard to the legalities. And before we close out the show, Joel, you mentioned that you write about um, foster parents and you write tips. Where can that be found? Well, uh Really, we're working on that being formalized. But okay. I have, I'm on Facebook. I do a lot on Facebook. Okay, I am so writing, connect with Joel on Facebook. Yes, Joel Elston on Facebook. My book is called The Bench by Joel Elston, available on Amazon. And my website is joelelston.com. Right, and I understand you're working on a new book. Three, uh, actually, three at once. Wow, <laughs> well, that's quite ambitious. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so we're going to have to to look uh, look out look ahead for that book. Is it a sequel or is it? it, it it's a quasi sequel. Quasi sequel. Yes. Or it's, it, a, it's a, or it's a tri sequel. It's a tri sequel. <laughs> I'll come up with a name. There you go. We are closing out raising the bar. The Law Talk Radio Show. Join me next week, next Wednesday. Thank you. <laughs>